let's start in the beginning. Let's start with kind of your your early years, uh, your upbringing, wherever you kind of want to start, just getting to, to kind of hear your story and your background. Well, at my age, that's a lot. But um, I was uh, an only child, and I was born to a father who got a start in real estate when he was 54, and I was seven. So uh, he'd been through a lot of things, but uh, he decided that he wanted to try to make his way in real estate since he was relatively new in this country. And so I watched him sell real estate when I was a child, and he'd leave me in the car while he'd go in to take a listing or, or present an offer. And two or three hours later, he'd come out. And of course, it was always, I'll just be a minute. But um, my dad had a drive and a survival mode that when he went in for a deal or a, or a listing, he wouldn't leave until he had it signed. And so it left me in the car a lot. But I saw that he got ahead financially. And as I grew up, being a, a D student, I figured um, you know, maybe, maybe a different type of living would be appropriate for me. And so I did graduate from high school. Um, I went straight into college, where I lasted one semester. You and Jesse yes. have a lot in common. Yeah, one semester. I was two semesters. No, two. one semester. You made yeah. it into the second you semester. You made it to finish the second semester. Well, in order to make it to the second one, you have to pass some classes in the first one. Yeah, so I was. Jesse made it to probation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I made it, I made it to, out of college in one semester, and I, I spent the next few years in a, in a very um, irresponsible, unhealthy lifestyle in the 60s in San Francisco in the light show world, in the, the Bill Graham days of the Fillmore, which I'm sure all of your younger listeners will totally understand. But anyway, um, I started in real estate because I had nothing else to do and no way to make money when I was 19 in uh, San Mateo, California. And I knew nothing about real estate. All I knew was I was able to pass a test. And in California, you needed to be 18 to get a license. So I went to work for a company and it's called Johnson Real Estate. I went in for an interview, and he said, uh, we could use you. I'd gotten a big haircut, because my hair was like 12 <laughs> inches long. And the last thing he said is, uh, we'll hire you if you get a haircut. So <laughs> I, I went back and got a second haircut, so I could start. <laughs> and uh, then they found me appropriate. But, but I, I had no, little or no success at 19 or 20. I was pretty, pretty uh, miserable. I didn't know my way around. Um, due to personal circumstances, my wife wanted to move to Canada. We moved to Ontario, London, Ontario, where I got another real estate license. And I went eight months without a deal. No sales, no listings. It was a horrible economic climate. I was driving a car with Oregon license, or actually it was California license plates at the time. And nobody wanted to do business with me because I was out of a country realtor, right? So anyway, I went eight months and went broke. Came back, went to work for my dad. Didn't do very well because it was a family issue. We didn't work well together. Moved to Oregon. Um, I set chokers, which is working in the woods for almost a year. Um, and then I started back into real estate when I was 22 and lasted um, about seven years. And um, uh, the market went down and I went broke. And uh, it was an easy seven years because the market was good, but then it ended. And we all thought there's no such thing as a bad market. 
in the 70s was great, and in 79, it went in the toilet. So um, I got out of the business and I went to work for myself as a selling seconds and used old products, anything, uh, trinkets, whatever I could get my hands on for four years. And then I decided to grow up and I went back to work legitimately for a really good company in Eugene. Worked harder than I'd ever worked. Started, oh, short story, in between, in no, not 1976, when the real estate market was hot, I was able to buy 26 apartments in Springfield, Oregon. I paid $312,000 for them. That was my biggest and best. And you think about that, it was about $13,000 a unit. And that was the market rate, which you all can relate to as being lacking a zero. But nevertheless, I bought these property, this property. I thought it was my my key to, to, to the gold mine. And I was kind of squeezing the property for cash and not doing very well. Well, in 1980 in Eugene, everything went up in smoke. The interest rates, which were variable at the time, which I had as about a 9% loan, went up to 18. The taxes went up, the vacancies went up, the rents went down, and I was about ready to lose the property until my father came along and bailed me out. Otherwise, I would have been, I wouldn't say destitute, but I wouldn't have owned any real estate. So we kept the property. I ended up selling it in 1994 for 750, and it was a great start to some apartment rentals that I started doing more seriously. And at this time, are you doing, uh, working as a realtor? As a realtor, the time? in sales. And then, you bought, and then you picked up this property? I picked up the property as a realtor in 76, yeah. So the 80s were, I went back into the real estate business in 84. I worked really hard. I had good success selling real estate. Um, and then in 1991, I got out of real estate to start being a private mortgage broker. And that was my calling. It's where I felt comfortable. It was profitable. It gave me flexibility. It allowed me to use certain skill sets that I had that uh, were not appropriate for a lot of other businesses. Um, uh, math skills. I'd gotten some people skills. I could identify a real estate transaction. I'd been in the business for 12 to 15 years, so I, I learned how to do that a little bit. And so the 90s were good. I, I did it without a license for seven years, which I will deny. Um, and I got lucky, and before I got cooked by the state, I got licensed and started the company called Gallic Financial. Did that for a bunch of years, private money, and then um, I ran into some really uh, interesting um, investor partners, the Worcesters. Um, actually, Bill Sirius was a, was a partner. He's a, a Eugenian and um, a couple of other groups and um, acquiring real estate along the way. But it, it's a, it was a long, long process. Yeah. So when you transitioned from being a realtor to a private lender, how did, like, did you have a little bit of capital set aside to lend or were you using primarily other people's money? I was using my mother's money and my money and together we had 250000 That's after I'd sold my interest in a real estate company that I'd become a part of. Yeah. And, and so we started with a pool of 250000 and, uh, and you stopped being a realtor? I to, stopped being a realtor. Wow. And That's unlike 90% of realtors, I and the other 10% learn that investing in real estate is far better than selling real estate. And, and so, so many realtors that I watched 
they lived year to year, they never got ahead with equity positions, and certain realtors and friends of mine and I learned about investments and realized that was the future. So, so starting in 91, I got serious about investing. So now it's 30 years later, and it goes to show that, that unlike some folks like yourself, most of us, it's a long road. It's a, it's a long, um, you have to be patient. You get where you go because you invest your time, your effort, and, and you enjoy what you do. But patience was really important. And I got, like I said, I did, my, I did real estate stuff on my own, but it wasn't until I ended up getting partners that my real estate portfolio seriously became more attractive, more profitable, and less stressful. And so I've been lucky enough to work with several partners um, over the years, and um, it's just been a win-win. Yeah. So you started with the two hundred fifty thousand, and your and your mother's money, and then you. I, I mean, by the time we got connected with you, which was about fifteen years from then, at least you had a bunch, a big network of people yeah. who trusted you and yeah. invested money with yeah. you. Yeah. Um, how did that? And a lot of them I know were realtors who you'd worked with before, just you know, because they had stayed with you. And by the time we got to you, they were still around. I mean, that shows a lot about the trust that you developed with these people. But how, like, how did that? How many deals did you have to do on your own with your and your mother-in-law's yeah. or your mother's money before yeah. they kind of came along? Yeah. Well, the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars represented an average deal size of about twenty grand. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, nobody was getting rich, but um, having real estate relationships and friends uh, who trusted you, who respected your ability to identify a good investment, was what allowed the pool to grow from you know, 250 to, I really, I'm not involved in that company anymore, but when I sold it, it was, you know, probably 20 to 30 million. And um, now it's substantially higher than that. And that's of active, active, active loans out there. Right. Well, uh, yeah, or or pools, money that's sitting on the sidelines waiting for the next opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not a fund guy. It's more of a, a specific loan for a specific investor and that's been what worked for us. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I am, 72 years old, 10 grandchildren, and um, a lot of history. So one question I have is growing Gallic Financial, uh, bringing on team members, maybe share a little bit about that process. And I, I would say part of the question is just what do you attribute the success of that to? The success of Gallic Financial and team building can be attributed to one person, (laughs) and that's not me. Uh, I hired a woman in 2005 that was the gold standard in my world in this business, and I I did train her in many ways, but she came with a lot of talent. Before that, I was by myself for 12 years, and um, actually, I was not a very good organizational paper guy. So in 2002, when I was licensed after four years, I got a call from the state of Oregon and they said, uh, we'd like to do an audit. And my heart just dropped because my partner nowadays calls my old files and applications because they they were written on a napkin and I'd hand her the deal. And, and, and um, she, she was an escrow officer at the time, and she'd make it happen. So when the state called, I, went, I immediately called my attorney. And I said, Terry, 
keep me out of jail. I don't care what you do, keep me out of jail. <laughs> so he said, you better come into the office. So I went into his office and he said, he, I told him the story. He said, they're not gonna put you in jail. They're gonna slap you around, they're gonna threaten you, but they're not gonna, they're not gonna put you in jail and they're not gonna take your license because you haven't been reported or anything. And he said, the first thing I would do is call the, call the, um, the, the guy who's coming in for the audit. And I called him up in Salem. I said, listen, why don't I just come up and meet you and save the trip? And he said, nah, I want to see your office. So, so he came down, he spent two days, cost me $600, and he gave me a five, which is the worst rating you can get. One is, you're good. Five is, we'll be back to see you in 60 days. I said, I was trying to be funny, and I said, have you ever given a six? And he, he just stared at me like, that wasn't that funny, because you deserve a six. But anyway, he came back. He came back, I, I put my son in place and we got educated. He came back in three months and he gave me a three. So I was on the road. Then my son and I did not work out professionally. So I was back on my own again and that's when I found this woman. And ever since she came on board, it's been ones for every audit. So in fact, she teaches the state stuff that they didn't know about when, when they find problems with the files, he goes, no, you need to read statute number eight, and so it all worked out. So I, so Carrie, this woman is was my growth, and then then we hired a guy who was going to be the the next big thing, and he failed. And then we hired another guy, and he failed. Then we hired another guy, and he failed. And then I retired, and she hired another guy, and he lasted six years, and then he failed. And so now she has a great partner, but. The company, it, it only involves four people. Good numbers, great reputation, good visibility, but four people. And my overhead when I was running the company was about 2,000 a month. And you can imagine the professionalism that she's brought in and all that has just created a bigger nut every month. But anyway, so, so that's, that's the size of the company. It's four people looking for one more. Yeah, power of partnering well. We yeah. can vouch for everything you said about Carrie. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah, she made my life uh, a very positive experience by taking that business to the next level and letting me have a nap room, yeah. which she did. <laughs> okay, so our introduction, uh, I have my own recollections. Is it 2000? What's the year? 2005, six? Five? Well, yeah. I think it would have been because we officially started our company in 2006 after we graduated, after yeah. I graduated, sorry. Um, and uh, prior to that, in the summers, we worked with my dad, or we, we hadn't even worked together, but he'd reach out to you. I don't think we'd done anything with you, but he'd reach out to you a number of times and wanted to do, because we did these Adair homes, um, where it was basically spec building at the peak of the market, yeah. and you, uh, understandably, I don't think I ever lent money to us, but we kind of had this well, guy. We all came yeah, in were, and met you. You guys weren't worth lending money to. Yeah, so totally. <laughs> so what's your, well, what's your recollection? Of, my recollection yeah. is that Doug Worcester, your dad, was using me as an educational tool. Right, yeah, right. And he would bring the three of you in, and he would try to play hardball to let you know that you have to be firm. And I would say no, and he would say why, and then you guys would go on your way till a couple of months later. And he said, I got another proposal to run by. Another opportunity for education of the kids. That's what it was. Yeah. 
And, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, right. and one thing that stood out to, to me, uh, and I think I speak for all of us, is how well you treated our dad, who was not, didn't have real estate experience and was learning, like you said, and, and so were we, and how well you treated us, who were just, you know, trying to figure out real estate and knew nothing. And were, it was fun. Yeah, that was it's it's great to see kids on the on board trying to get that knowledge that you really can't get in the classroom. Yeah. So yeah. he brought the classroom over to 14th Street, where, <laughs> where our office was. I remember those meetings well. Yeah. yeah. So do, so do I. Yeah. So then the transition into into passive. So you you've got Gallic Financial. Uh, but the transition into passively investing, well, passive, there's a spectrum, obviously. You're very active uh, in a lot of the deals you invest in, very knowledgeable on them. Uh, but what, when does that transition begin? Is that Frederick? Is that? Well, it actually started before yeah. I really met you guys yeah. because when I sold that nightmare property in Springfield that turned out okay, that's when I started investing with another group right. who, whose owner I had known since the 70s. Right. And so we kind of grew up together. And so I was investing in Vancouver, uh, Washington, in Portland. And I'd, I'd been involved in three or four large projects yeah. as a minority owner, but as a passive investor. Yeah. And that's when I kind of realized, okay, I'm 50. It's time to look at some other sources of income besides a paycheck from lending money. Mm -hmm. And so that was my goal was to expand my passive investment strategy but um i didn't have a didn't have a timeline you guys just called out of the blue with some ridiculous deal that i didn't want to hear about because it was did they ever say too good to be true yeah <laughs> too good to be true right. so yeah that that was our first, frederick was the first yeah. experience and 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 so the passive investment outside of oregon started that day yeah, and I remember going, so that would have been 2009, okay. like mid, mid, late 2009. And I remember going into your office with our property package. If you look at them now, I've looked at some of them. They're, they're pretty interesting. Um, but I remember going in there and being super nervous and you giving me the time of day and looking it over and you and Carrie sat down with me and then you, I think, called me back the next day and said you're interested. Then you ended up flying out, uh, yeah. I think a couple of days later. You guys were not a known commodity. You had a tremendous amount of ambition, uh, and a, 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 the ethical side didn't seem to be a concern, but the quality of the transaction seemed unreal. As an example, going back to that property in Springfield that I paid 13000 a unit for in 1976, you guys brought a deal that was $14,000 a unit in 2008 or nine or whatever. That doesn't make sense. And so I had to see it eyes, eyes on. And so that's why I went back there. So were your investments in, you mentioned Vancouver, Portland, were those multifamily? Were they yeah. all multifamily? Between 100 and 300 units. Yeah. But again, prices were different. It didn't take the same amount of cash. Um, as you know, apartment prices and all that has gone up astronomically. So even though the cost of living is this, apartment so, so the numbers we were working with were so much different than, than later on. So, yeah, they were large projects, but the numbers were a lot smaller per unit for sure. So why multifamily as opposed to other asset types? Um, 
Well, I've always been a residential realtor for the most part. I small single family duplex, fourplex. I never was heavily into apartments. I was never a commercial broker. So I felt the most comfortable with residential. And obviously the next step from a house is multifamily. And I under I felt like I understood it. I felt like in the long haul, it was probably a little less subject to wavy markets versus commercial space. Um, and part of it is what your heart says is the best for you. And I like that. And so that's, I mean, I, did, I started that in 1976 with that 26 units and it just never changed. And I've done a couple of small development deals with Bear Land and I always found them to be over onerous and, and too much county, city, you know, paperwork and all that stuff. So existing units was a big, big attraction for me. And that's what I did. And, I, and so were my partners. My, my partners that brought me into the Portland deals were also multi-unit guys. So passive versus active. There's a lot of folks out there who have identified multifamily. They like the sector for whatever reason. And they have this choice, which is, do I go out and do I learn this myself and, and be active in the business or do I find groups or a group to invest with passively maybe give your perspective on why you've gone the passive route but I will also get to the part of how knowledgeable you are because I wouldn't consider you the typical passive investor well I don't think a person in general should do too much passive investing unless they feel like they have some knowledge of what they're investing in, the product, most importantly, the people. And I just think knowledge is power. And so many of the people that I have introduced to inv passive investment have done it because they trust me. Then they trust the people, then they are forced to trust the people that I trust. But some of them, you know, have so little knowledge of what they're doing. And so a couple of times I've gotten a little, not short, but direct with them and said, hey, you want to know what you're doing? Take an airline, go fly back there and look at what you're putting your money into. It's the fastest way to learn. So Pat, I think people should, should consider passive real estate if they find the right partners. They, they certainly have to have some appetite for potential negativity, there's no guarantees, um, not in anything. Um, so but, so, the, so they, they, they do have to have some understanding and some quality partners. I mean, clearly, I know what this is about and the partnership is everything, everything. I have partnered up with people who I've done one or two deals with and then said never again. You can, you know, if you're, if you're knowledgeable, you can figure that out. If you're not knowledgeable, you might figure it out after you've lost a lot of money or you've gone through a lot of heartache. So the one thing I can say is that patience and with, on both sides, nobody wants to get pushed into a deal and, and nobody wants to, to um, push a deal on somebody who's not ready to go, go with that program because it's generally a lot of money. I don't know where you guys come in on, on you know, the investment, the, the type of investor. I know there's a certain standard you have to 
have, right? And, and that, that takes a lot of the, the concern about people losing their nest egg out of it. And that's healthy. Obviously, it makes it's good yeah. for you, it's good for them. Um, so when people get to the place where they're, a, a, is it a qualified a, investor? Accredited. Accredited yeah. investor. They hopefully have learned something. It didn't come just from an inheritance. So it, it's, it's healthy to have that knowledge, but it's also healthy to be able to handle a, a negative investment. Which are not that, they're not that common. They, they really aren't. I mean, if you're in for the long haul and you're dealing with people who aren't literally dishonest, it, it, generally things work out. It's just a question of degrees. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned some investors that have invested in opportunities based on their trust with you. So what you have, you might describe it a little differently. I would call it kind of an informal Gordon investor group. How did that come about? How did that develop? Was that just kind of a natural iteration of investing in opportunities with Gallic Financial? Yes. Yeah. yeah, almost all the investors came through the lending, the lender's pool of my company because I felt diversification was critically important. And let's face it, the returns on a quality real estate investment are killer returns in relationship to loaning money. Lending money is a dollar on a dollar return or 10% or whatever. There's no leverage. Uh, there's, there's immediate tax li liability when you're investing in a, in a note. Uh, but, but it also is a certainty of monthly income, almost without exception, unless you make a big mistake, which I could write a book about. Big mistake. Big book. So, so how do you, like, as we were introduced to you, we were in the Eugene market and a number of people referred us to you so you had, had built up this reputation as a as a guy of high integrity and then um, and then as we've done a bunch of deals with you you have all these people who listen to you and follow you like how what do you think the how do you think you developed that that trust with all these different individuals some of them very savvy some of them probably more dependent on you um, how do you think that that developed well one of the things I'll tell you about investors, and it may be true in other ways, including yourself, and this is kind of a sad commentary. I could spend three months, two months, whatever, working with a potential investor, trying to get them knowledgeable, comfortable, uh, and, and ready to make an investment. And, that, and they may be extremely nervous. They may be reluctant, but nobody ever gets pushed. Finally, they pull the trigger. They make a $70,000 investment, and 30 days later, a payment shows up, $500. 30 days later, another payment shows up. The phone starts ringing. When can I do my next investment? I mean, if, if one was running a Ponzi scheme, I mean, the, the gullibility of people who don't bother to learn who they're working with is a recipe for disaster. And, and so what I found is that people who are reluctant, as soon as they see money coming in, their whole mindset changes. Whereas, uh, theoretically, uh, this money that they were investing, yeah, we go to a closing. I mean, everything can be doctored. You know, I mean, if, if one has bad intentions. And so, that, I'm not sure where I was going with that, except that people learn to trust you over time. And unfortunately, too many people learn to trust you after 60 days. But after three, four, five years, 
there's a relationship, just like everything else. But aren't even those people who, who uh, are trusting you after 30, 60 days, aren't most of them referred to you by someone who yes. has worked yeah. with you yes. for a long time? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Never advertised for an investor, never sought out an investor. If I didn't feel that the, 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 the personalities were in order, I, I would come right out and say, I don't think we're a good match. I really don't. Um, I think the other thing that um, really got, and you've, you guys have done some of this too, I made some mistakes in the lending world. Any underwriter, any lender will make mistakes if given the opportunity and the time. It happens. But I went out of my way to try to make the investors whole who lost money through lending money through me, which is, I hate to say it, but it is unheard of in the lending industry. When, when, when do you find, if you, if you made a loan to somebody and it didn't work out, somebody else stepped in and paid you back. You know, it's, so that was important to me. And that probably, that probably went further for you and your relations with your investors, I would imagine, yeah. than the good deal that where they got their check. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. word gets out that, yeah, they're not legally responsible, but they're going to take some moral responsibility. I made some loans that, the stupidest loans, the costly loans, ridiculous loans, and it cost me over a million dollars altogether. Yeah. Nobody lost more money investing through me than me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of that. That's something to hang your hat on. So uh, for those who aren't familiar with um, you know, multi comparing multifamily real estate to investing in private lending, just give your perspective. You touched on it a little bit, but give kind of compare and contrast those a little bit in, you, in your eyes. Well, I think, I think they, they both can be equally passive. Um, one gives you, well, in fact, the way, the way the worster people are doing it, I think everybody gets guaranteed a certain return, which is the same as investing in a loan. You get guaranteed a certain return. Um, I like the better days when there was no guarantees and the upside was better, which I'd like to talk to you about after this meeting. <laughs> But, but they, they both have similarities yeah. as, as far as passive. Yeah. And if you're going to do real estate, your upside is going to be better. Your tax benefits are going to be better. Your risk might be greater. Your workload will be higher. I mean, if you don't invest into, into a company that is designed to invest your money with you being on the sidelines. Yeah. I mean, private investing on your own into real estate is tough. Yeah. It's really tough. And in certain markets, it's not even something a, a novice or even an intermediate, an immediate investor shouldn't go to. It's, it's scary. That's a good segue. Uh, I told you just, I don't know what it was, 30 minutes ago that we were going to uh, try to drum up some deal stories. Um, any that come to mind, you mentioned uh, just the difficulty in, in investing. Any, any that, that come to mind whether it's on actively doing a deal on your own, passively investing, anything that comes to mind that would be an interesting story. Well, it's a small deal, but it's an amazing story. In 79, uh, when the market was going crazy before it fell, I was a real estate broker and I had five agents and we were just living the good life. I mean, every, there's, no, there's no end to this upswing. It's gonna go on forever. So one of my agents, calls me and says, Gordon, I found a duplex 
a duplex for $29,000 out in North Eugene. It's a steal. It's an absolute steal. And I said, write it up. What are we waiting for? I never went and looked at it. He just wrote it up. So the seller carried the contract on that. So there was no bank involved. I never went and looked at the property until after it was closed. So I was the owner. I owed this guy like 27. He took $2,000 down. <clears throat> I went out to the property. And the first thing I noticed when I, when I saw it is that the foundation kind of had a it looked like a, like a football field. You know how the, the, the center line is higher for drainage? Well, it, it, was, it was built as a chicken coop. And so it was designed to have the cages in there where all of the chicken droppings could be washed down and out. And they put a structure on top of it and called it a duplex. <laughs> and, and so I already owned it, you know, and, and the market then just went to pieces. And I called this gentleman down in Phoenix, and I said, listen, I made a horrible mistake. I'm not, I can't rent it. Um, I didn't really understand the, what this property was all about. Would you take it back? And he said, I'll take it back. Oh, that's cool. Huh? So I, it's the only property I ever had to give back. Uh, call it a deed in lieu of foreclosure. Wow. And I think the message there is clear. Fly out to see the property before you loan money to the Worcesters. <laughs> <laughs> Same as the duplex, you know. So that, that's a great lesson. Never take anybody's word. Uh, although we've done business together on uh, pictures, you and I. But um, I, think, I think what happens is you, you get um, not a comfort level, but a trust level. The second property we did, one of my, my partners came back and looked at the property. And the third one I did. And, and, and then we started looking at all of them. And um, so that was, that was probably the, the most embarrassing uh, story I did. Um, a couple of years ago, um, one of my invest, a, a person I've invested with before <clears throat> called me about a really s substantial project in Portland. It's gonna be $8 million or $7 million. And it's, it sounded too good to be true. We went and looked at it and and we, we got involved in the deal, and then uh, four or five months later, he called me, and he said, we made some really bad estimates on this. It's gonna be $12 million. And um, that's the last time we did business, because he was, I mean, we didn't do the deal, but it was, he was so far off that our confidence level in his ability to bring a quality pr product to us, there was too many unknowns, and, and we, Fortunately, didn't get get financially uh, hosed on it. Was a, so it was what, did it go from a six million to twelve million purchase price, or was yes. it a rehab amount? Uh, well, well, he had, it, there there was some groundwater issues, there was some wetlands issues, there was some he hadn't included a five hundred thousand dollar real estate fee to some bank and other realtor, and oh, it was just ugly. Yeah. It was just ugly. Worst deal that you've invested in passively. Does anything come to mind? <clears throat> I have been incredibly fortunate. Um, my passive investments have not been worse or worse. It's been single, double, home run, yeah. grand slam. It, uh, you get spoiled, yeah. and I guess 
because of the people I've worked with and in multiple groups, I have never regretted investing in any of the transactions that I invested in. Does that mean that I was happy through the process? No. But when, when the, the, the sun set and the, the finances and the, the profits or whatever were, were dealt with, I don't have any regrets. There was no, I mean, I, unfortunately, I could tell you too many in the lending world, but that's not what we're talking about. That's where my big hurts came along, the, the painful ones, but not in real estate. And there's a, there's a good reason for that. I mean, if, if, if a lender, you can be deceived by a borrower in many ways. If you're buying real estate, I, I, th I think that if you evaluate the property and you do a little bit of homework on the purchase price in the long run, things will come back and, and be profitable. And do you think part of that is because you've had a, like a buy and hold mentality as opposed to a flip mentality? Well, flips are, have, I've never done, I've never done flips. Um, and I think it's because most flips require a lot of hands-on and you know, margins, you have to be really careful on margins. And, and for me, flips are, are almost a full-time business. Um, you, can't, you can't have a job over here and then work on a flip over there. And I've seen many, many flippers in my lending world. And we were very careful about who we were lending money to because of that particular issue is uh, flipping real estate requires analysis, the cooperation of the market, timing, um, <clears throat> and under, do your expectations with a, as an underachiever rather than overachiever. I, 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 dealt, I dealt with some really trustworthy guys over in, in Central Oregon, and I loaned them. Don't, you're not going to believe I'm saying this, but I loaned them 100% of the sales price because they were going to buy two new homes and fix them up, or, or put basements and finish the basements and then flip them. And they bought them each for 350000 and when they were done, they put them on the market for five ninety nine. So, And I'd loaned them the money to fix, too. So I was in there for 900000 they were going to sell them for 1.2, and the market turned in 30 days, and they chased the market down, where they sold each property for 300 grand. Oh, when was that? Uh, 2008. Oh, right. They sold each house for, and so I had some guys in a first position for 600, and and another guy and for 300 in a second position, and the guy in second position cost me a lot of money. Because I couldn't, I couldn't stand the idea of him losing on my decision. So flippers, beware. Um, there has to be a huge mar margin, and this, and the market conditions should be very, very fully examined before you get involved in flips. You're almost better being involved in flips in a crappy market where you can buy them cheap, and you have a more motivated seller, and you can be prepared to hold them for a little bit. This is a tough market to be flipping in. When you've done, you just remind me of a question. So when you do uh, like a, a structured loan that has a first and second just through Gallic Financial, yeah. uh, would you, did you start gravitating towards, t you, you usually took on the second just because you'd help out? Because I know we'd done loans with you or I'd seen loans where, you, where you're the second portion yeah. to make sure that your investors had less of the risk. Yeah, there was always some of that. And if, if, I, if my name wasn't on there, you know, my checkbook was. 
Yeah, and why put a person in second if you're going to pay for it anyway and they get the higher interest rate? Yeah. Why not if you're going to take on that risk anyway? Yeah. 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 Well said. Uh, best deals. Any any best deals? Oh, I'm just talking to the deal makers right here. I mean, it's been it's you know I, I actually noted a, a, a few of them and it, it's really it's really interesting of the of the five best investments I've made. Uh, four of them have been in the Kansas City area. And, and uh, one of them has been in Phoenix. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the early days of Kansas City investments were the good old days. I hate to say it, you guys aren't old enough to talk about the good old days, but things have changed. As you know, margins are different. Um, opportunities are rarer. Uh, timing is everything, as you guys know better than anybody. You arrived on this particular island at a perfect time. People couldn't, they couldn't give them away fast enough or something, I don't know. Plus, you guys were really good on negotiating the best possible deals. But, and we've talked about Frederick and it, it was obviously the first one and it, it was a great investment. But after that, properties like, like the, um, the property on the golf course in Leavenworth. Fairway. Fairway View, or Fairway, Fairway, yeah. And, and Maple and stuff up in, and the Aletha deals were, I mean, it seemed like, you know, it makes you feel like you're smarter than you really are, but, but somebody's got to go out there and find them and negotiate them. But the profit side um, is, is ridiculous. Um, and, and that's where timing and good fortune and, I mean, they, they you know, when you when you start talking about forty to sixty percent internal rate of returns, that's not in any textbook. You know, sounds like we're dealing drugs or something. <laughs> you, I mean, the kind of profits you make from doing stuff legally, yeah. ethically, housing people, yeah. and build and, and taking care of your family, and not have and being able to sleep well at night, yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Was there ever a point during this crazy run up where we've experienced these? phenomenal returns where you thought there was a, there was something indicated a, a bubble where you thought it was going to turn? Because I, I remember talking to you in, cause in like 2006-ish range and you were weary of that. So you were seeing these things that indicated a bubble to you and, and I, I know you made some decisions in that regard and you were in good shape on the other side of it because of decisions you made. But like is there, because we've had this crazy run where people are, have always been talking about well, when's the next bubble going to happen? And now I'm not even hearing that anymore. Well, maybe a little more with the with Biden tax laws that could go into effect. But, uh, but yeah, is there, any, is there any point where you have sort of taken a step back because you were worried about a bubble situation? I haven't taken a step back for several reasons. I I, ha I wasn't all that aggressive. First of all, I, I'm not a high risk taker. But but I am. I guess I'm more willing to take a little risk now because. If you can, the better affordability, the you know, the the more insulated you are, the more stuff you can do. But I I was I have worried, or I've had worried, in in the first few years about the pace of growth, um, out you know out kicking your coverage as far as staffing, management, bookkeeping, and there's been there's been blips. I mean, you cannot grow from zero to three thousand without, you know, it, it's either too much property or not enough property and too much staff or vice versa. 
So I, I think we've had that discussion. I, you know, we've certainly had that discussion in Eugene where you're dealing with, a, with a, an investor group that is old enough to be your grandparents. So when you have that phenomenon, you are, you're not working on the same page as your investors anymore. You know, when we, when we started, I was 61, which is a, sounds a lot better than 72 to me. But you, know, you have a little better chance of recovering if things don't work out at 61 than 72. But, but when you're 29, you know, the world is my apple or whatever they call it. What is that? Oyster. My oyster, thank you. And you guys, you know, you guys had all of the pearls and the oysters and, and you could afford to make a mistake because you were young and you could rebound easily even though I felt you were very, very anxious to take care of the investors and your investors came first. And I know you stressed out over that. But it's impossible to put yourself in the same place as a 68-year-old, no matter how much goodwill and, and understanding you have. Uh, they don't get do-overs, and, yeah. and you do. So fortunately, uh, you know, the, the thing I would say in, from 2008 to 2015, 16, is that I felt it was impossible to not succeed because of the quality that you brought to the table because I learned that Kansas City is, is not a, a real expensive community, but, but it, it's, it's not a cheap, cheap community. I mean, it, it, it's a place where values have a lot of room to grow. And you were buying stuff, we were buying stuff at a very affordable rate. No matter how tough things got, the, the quality of the transaction itself would allow for, um, I wouldn't call it failure, but slow growth. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's been absolutely true. So from 2016 on, the, the peaches got a lot higher in the tree and it's hard to find them. Mm -hmm. And then you gotta get a ladder and you gotta hire a crew and, you know, and then they may be rotten when you pull them down. Yeah. So. Well said. So let's transition to the seven keys. Okay, so uh, seven keys are, are very, um, very straightforward. It's, it's like a funnel. The first four are uh, evaluating a sponsor, and then the last three are evaluating a deal. And so our goal is just to get your take off the cuff, whatever comes to mind, your take on each of these. And so the first one is trust as the foundation as you're evaluating a sponsor, what is your process? You know, you've worked with three groups uh, that you've ended up working with. I'm sure there's groups that you've uh, looked into and not ended up investing. Um, so what what is your approach to determining trustworthiness and, and evaluating uh, a group in that, in that perspective? Well, the easiest thing is, is, is history, obviously. And the longer you work with somebody, the higher, if it's successful, the higher degree of confidence you have. Um, you know, it, it's the same as my lending business is when, after 20 deals, when the phone rang, they'd say, when and where do you need the money? After 20 deals, 10 deals, and they're all successful, you can call somebody and they're gonna go, when do you need the money? They don't. They don't care as much about 
what you have to say, it's who's on the other line. And so that experience is critical. The, the first couple of times, that's the hard, that's the hard part. And you know, a, a presentation that defines the investment, which also requires a fair degree of knowledge on the investor's part, because it's, it's pretty, I've, I've read your, you know, your paperwork and your offerings. It's pretty involved, it's pretty significant, and there's always a lot of assumptions. So people are reading things that, that you have determined are worthy assumptions, and this, this is what should happen. But that's you guys talking, and if I've not done business with you, then I have to go on your track record and listen to other people, because I haven't had a personal ev event that made those assumptions true. I know that your philosophy is underestimate everything and overperform, or overestimate the expenses and underestimate the profits and bring it in better than was expected. And to a degree, that's been true. But the first couple of times, nobody knows. So the word of mouth, the history, the ability to project your history uh, in, in a, some sort of a written form or a, or a history form or a video form or some kind of form, or you know, you, you know, some sort of a, a online presence that shows the property, shows the upside, shows the downside, I mean, testimonials are fantastic, but you know, you can get those buying soap on TV. This soap is the best soap. <laughs> so what somebody says about you uh, is very helpful, but seeing the numbers uh, is, until people get comfortable, th that's where the hill is. So when you did, I'm just curious, when you did our fir your first deal with us in, yeah. in 2009, and we'd known you for, we hadn't done any business, but we'd known you, and, and we were very green. We were in our mid-20s. Did you say greedy? Green. Oh, I'm sorry. You did ask for 55% uh, yeah, of ownership true. on that. So greed comes to mind first, I'm sorry. So, so. Never uh, asked for that since, by the yeah, way. Yeah, no. Sorry. <laughs> we tapered our way down. Yeah, yeah. Down to 50, yeah, very nice. Go so, uh, when we presented the, that first deal to you, how much of it was just the deal was like, you know, we were 14 a door on a property in 2009. How much of it was the deal versus how, versus your comfort level with us? And I'm not going to be offended by, <laughs> by being all deals. Well, I'll try to, try to think that one through before I answer. I can assure you that it wasn't 90 you and 10 the deal. Yeah. <laughs> can we agree on that? I would say, I would say it was 60% the deal and 40% you guys. Hey, I'll take yeah. that. No, and really, considering where you were in your career, yeah. you, were, you were very genuine, you were very ambitious, you were excited about it. Um, you'd, you'd, you'd owned some stuff here already, which you showed me, that was where your office was then. Mm -hmm. So I knew that you'd, you'd had some success and you'd learned some of the ropes, but the deal was just, a, just too good not to get involved in. And, and uh, I, I, th I think I, I think I put $75,000 into that deal. And my partner, Carrie, put 50 in. Isn't that right? You were a little bit more than that. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it was oh. 275 total. Yeah, 275 total. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but your father-in-law put money in there. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he got a better deal than we did, by the way. That's right. He did. Yeah. So I remember Which, that. <laughs> yeah. I know you're. <laughs> It's good to have Which a Which you were pretty gracious about. And you, and yeah. 
<laughs> I was. I, I, I was happy to be in the deal. I, I wasn't happy about a 55% to the, the Worcesters, but you were young and you needed the money. So, okay, so I, I, I melted. So, so we, yeah, but, but that deal at 75, you know, one thing an investor has to look at, it's not what your partner makes, it's what you are gonna be making. And what, what it means to you personally, you should not pay attention to the partner's upside if you feel good about your upside. And I felt really good about our upside. Simple as that. So, 60-40. Second deal, it was about 60-40 the other way. I felt better about you guys than I did about the deal. That would have been Gene Field? Yeah. So any situations where you have not done a deal, taken an opportunity with a, with a group because you just didn't feel like the, the trust was there? The trust of you guys? No, like a, just with, with another group or with any group. Oh, did yeah. I ever not do a deal yeah, because deal, of, yeah. oh yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've stayed out of several deals, yeah. many deals. Um, my partners who I work with in Phoenix, um, I've never, walked away from an, an offering um, from them. Um, the person I've worked with in, in Oregon, I've walked away from several deals. In fact, I've walked away more than I've walked in. And, and so that, that relationship is, is fine, but I don't see myself or my, my investor partners being too excited about the future on, on, on that partnership level. So the next key is track record and evaluating. You you alluded to to this already because um, you know a lot of the a lot of the evaluation of a sponsor uh, they all kind of morph together. But talk a little bit about you, how you evaluate or your perspective on looking into someone's track record. Well, the people I work with in Phoenix, of course, I've known for. 45 years now. So there's a genuine knowledge of the person. Um, but he's, he's a little more, uh, what's the word, he, he, ambitious. You know, he's, he's more of, he's more of a, a risk taker. Um, and I'm not much of a risk taker. Um, for example, back in the go-go days of the 70s when we were all crazy, he invested in a fishing boat, crab boat in Alaska. Lost his shirt, you know. He uh, he invested in a hotel in Eugene, which was was the biggest porridge hotel, a, a bar in Lane County. And you know, you can't survive just on a bar when you have 200 rooms plus a restaurant. So went broke on that. Um, and so and so he's done he's done some really far out real estate investing. And so I've been really more cautious. But he's never invited me into a deal that I didn't think made sense. But, you know, again, he's lost a lot of money, but he's fortunately made a lot more. And so the track record, uh, I, I know that the, the track record that we've established is, is one that everybody envies. I mean, there's no history that is not subject to potholes. And I have found that there are times when I am not necessarily excited about where we are in a deal, which I know you know, 
but I also know you know that at the end of the day, we end up on the right page because we have similar philosophies and we have history that involves trust. And so, you know, vetting your, your uh, company that brings opportunities becomes easier over time. Um, however, it's easier to do business on a deal where you see upsides that are more, might be, appear slightly riskier, but have huge upsides versus deals or offerings that have minimal upsides um, and not necessarily a better opportunity. So does that answer the question? Absolutely. Last question on track record. What would be your advice to someone new to real estate and uh, and they're out and they've got five different groups they're looking at? What would be your advice to them as they're evaluating the track records of these different groups? Hmm. Well, I'd certainly want to meet people face to face, which isn't always easy. I mean, the way the world is, somebody can be in Pittsburgh and you can be in California, but I think face-to-face -face is, is really important to identify whether, whether there's a feeling of trust there and, and, and goodwill and commonality. Um, obviously, the type of real estate or investments that they've been doing, do that match up with, with the type of real estate you want to do? Are you in it for the long haul, and are they? In other words, are they looking to make a lot of money early and, and you're going to be involved for many years? I mean, given where you are in your life, you, you want to know. And as, as we've learned, are, are the people you're investing with, and I don't know how feasible this is, especially with laws changing, are they involved and interested in stepping up by buying a property and stabilizing it and making it more marketable and then exchanging it so you have a, a greater real estate uh, uh, investment and whether or not your portfolio will grow that way, even though there's going to be some potential changes in the government, um, you don't want to be stuck with a property that you can't get out of, for example. What, what, is there an exit strategy? Is there a way out of your investment with this company? Will they give you some sort of a, a, an opportunity to walk if you want to? That's a big deal when you're starting. And you shouldn't be starting if you're not in it for the long haul, unless you're buying properties to flip. But if, if you're buying oppor opportunities for a portfolio, start young and stay in it. That's good. That's really helpful. So the third key is team. It's, uh, uh, appropriate that you're out here meet, seeing a lot of our team. Um, what is your process? You, of course, uh, over the years have gotten to know a lot of our team members and are, you know, call them directly. What's, what's your evaluation process or maybe just talk about how your philosophy on how you get to know the team or evaluate the team uh, of, a, of a group? <clears throat> Well, once again, meeting them is a big deal. Um, obviously, I do a fair amount of communication, and so how well and how quickly they respond to an inquiry, that's really important. 
how much time and are they patient with my needs? Um, do they understand when I'm, I have concerns and do they take them seriously? Um, do they have thick skin? Do I have to walk on, on eggshells when I'm talking to them for fear of offending somebody? I'm just talking about my personality. Some people, yeah. some people wouldn't, wouldn't want anybody to be offended no matter what they say, so they, they're very sweet. And, and, and my nature is to be more direct and try to get information. Um, knowing w what team member needs to be addressed so everybody has a defined uh, job description. So, I th for example, the last couple of years, it's been great. You know, I know who to get angry at for a change, you know, instead of just getting angry at everybody and then finding out who the culprit is, you know. But seriously, the, 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 the face to face, that's one reason I come out here is to get reacquainted, readdress the, the, the nature of the person, find out how their lives are going. Are they happy with their work? I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of invested funds in this company now. And I'm not just speaking of me, I'm speaking of the many, many millions that people have entrusted. So people want to know that that money is being respected and their investments are being respected. And, um, you know, I, I know that part of your goal has been diversifying your staff. So there's roles and, and then uh, I think from what I'm seeing, Joel is kind of the, the guy who circulates and, uh, and deals with issues with each of the, the, the key people. But I, I, I think it's worked out well in that, d defining the jobs and defining the responsibilities of people and making them available to investors. Every investor, I can say this, every investor that has come back here has felt very welcomed and, and, and nobody has felt like anybody didn't go out of their way to help them and without, without question. That's a big deal. That doesn't happen very often. Thank you, that's, that's really helpful. So fourth key is transparency. This is just something I've been hearing a lot out in the marketplace is uh, there's, a, there's these platforms, uh, uh, where you can pa passively invest with groups and there's kind of a broad spectrum of the transparency and access, access to information. You touched on this with team, but uh, any, any commentary on the groups that you've worked with on uh, just the importance of transparency for you in working with a group? Well, that's kind of a self-answering question. I mean, if, if, if you don't feel like there's transparency, you shouldn't even start to think about investing. Every question that you feel needs to be asked should deserve a response. When you're putting money in somebody else's hands to manage and enhance, you, you, if they're not transparent, you shouldn't go to the starting line. And I know, I mean, the person that I don't see me working with, that's part of the issue. Transparency is always going to be part of an issue if you decide to go a different direction, almost always. My buddies and friends in Phoenix, uh, the guy who runs the show now, I feel is amazing. And he's, I can ask him pretty much anything about the deals. <clears throat> Unlike them, he's, he gives bad news as well as he gives good news. He's very, very good at that. 
I'm not sure you guys are the best I've ever seen about giving bad news. It, it goes against your grain. Nobody wants to make somebody unhappy or upset. And I believe that people deserve to get the negative as well as the positive as quickly as possible and as honestly as possible. When a mistake is made, regardless how big or small, I think you build camaraderie and trust by sharing that with the people who have entrusted you with their money and their future. And so if, if there's a nasty situation that occurs, let them know. And it's, it, just let them know. It's, it's the best. It's the best. I'd say that 98% of the stuff that comes out of this office is positive, and 2% isn't positive. And there's also, there's also, I guess they call it the soft sell, you know, be gentle. Most, most investor adults don't, they don't need to be treated gently. Yeah. You know, they, they just, they invest because they trust you in the first place and they, and they wanna know what they're doing. So can't hurt to be straight. I'm not, I'm not being accusatory. I'm just saying that a couple of times that, that I brought things to light, it's because I thought you were trying to maybe not, not deliver stuff that was not fun. Yeah, yeah. But investments are not always fun. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd be called fun. <laughs> That's helpful. That's helpful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so transitioning now, we are uh, beyond evaluating a group and now we're just talking specifically about uh, the analysis of an individual deal and the the first layer is is very basic it's kind of a checkbox but it's the type of real estate that you're investing in um, and so you have uh, what you would say if you were looking at a spectrum you have really conservative uh, you might call it like a core plus downtown asset which typically in these major markets which are you know much lower returns and then you have everything to maybe some sort of really aggressive business model what is your philosophy on the type of real estate that you're investing in when it comes to that spectrum of aggressive and conservative and well my philosophy is the return needs to be I'm one of the, the lucky people. I can always invest my money at 10% through the company that I sold. I, most people don't have that luxury. So if I'm, if I'm introduced to a, a AAA property in the heart of town that, that might be, be a four or five cap and, and show minimal cash flow, but maybe over 10 or 15 years it'll be great, I'm not nearly as attracted as that to I am a property that's a seven and a half or eight um, cap rate that is going to give me good cash flow from from the get-go and may not necessarily have the well who's to say that the property downtown is going to have the huge upside versus the property out in the countryside I don't know but it has to have a reasonable return and part of that reasonable return are what are the alternatives of the investor so this investor has better alternatives, not only from the lending point of view I can do, but from people I work with outside of this group. <clears throat> Some people, and many people might say, if I can get a reasonable return out of these people I dearly love to work with, they, have all, they check all the boxes, but the return isn't exactly what I want, I, I don't find fault with that. Yeah. 
Somebody, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people, 7 or 8% is like golden for a return. It's not for some of us, but it is for a lot of us. When, when somebody is getting, you know, passbook rates at the institutions now, and they can get 7.5% in a real estate deal, which, again, there's some tax benefits, there's some appreciation, and they might get 7%, 6%, who knows, who cares, on their actual investment, then I don't find fault with that. Unfortunately, you've spoiled so many of your investors, and so they're not as excited about 7% or 8%. That's on you. That's your fault. Any types of deals you don't do, that it's just kind of once it comes through, your once it comes across your desk, you know, new construction, just anything that's kind of off limits it's, for you. It, it's really about a couple, three things. Penciling, yeah. it, 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 there needs to be some honesty. I'm not talking about you, but if you look at real estate offerings, you know, 70% of them are just fluff and, and just cloudy. There's just nothing there. Um, so if, the, if it's, it has to have a, 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 real, a real number. I am neighborhood conscious. Uh, my wife and I both want to be able to drive by a property, and uh, uh, pride of ownership, I guess, is a better way of putting it, not neighborhood, but, but um, there's a couple of uh, opportunities that I were, was offered that I shied away from, even with you folks, because I wasn't comfortable with the, the locale. Yeah. And, and um, so you want to be happy and proud. In fact, my wife's come out here a couple of times with me, as you know. And there was properties that we're glad we've sold because they weren't properties that I think are the kind of properties you want to represent to your investors. But who, does, who succeeds without a mistake along the way? Or an, an overly optimistic opinion of how things are going to go? Or, as in the case of one property, was interspersed with properties that were owned by other people? You can't control your next door neighbor who owns a duplex when you own the one next door. So, so you want to be careful about what you're up against. And, and, and so I like to buy properties and get involved in properties that are autonomous. They sit on their own, um, obviously pride of ownership, and obviously properties that are going to have a reasonable return in a reasonable amount of time and has some appreciation. And that's the other question is appreciation when and what's the exit strategy because at my age, I'm starting to think of my kids as far as, in fact, forget that, my grandkids. Um, some of my kids are, but uh, I'm starting to think of where they're gonna be with these properties because there comes a point where hopefully you're gonna have your money outlive you. And it would be nice to have a generation that gets some help with whatever they need, right. along with some good causes. Right. So the next key is thesis. So prior to digging into the numbers, digging into spreadsheets, just the story, the first pass you get at an opportunity. Uh, so it would be you hear the narrative, you have a couple minute phone call, you're hearing maybe the story and the background of the deal. What are the first things you're looking for at that initial level? Well, the first thing is the, the, the appreciation of the phone call. That means you're interested in me. Or you've run out of people. I don't know which it is. But 
hopefully it's because you, you want to talk to me, but I can sense, maybe I'm wrong, but I can sense in the first few minutes of a phone call what I perceive as the quality of the deal. I don't think, when you're dealing with honorable people, as I sense you guys are, you can't, you can't hide behind a deal that's mediocre. You can't, or even a B, you can't hide behind it and treat it as an A. And I feel like I've been able to grasp, even though I've gone with them sometimes, I've been able to grasp the, the quality of the deal. Like, I've never heard so much excitement as I did with our first deal. But there's been other deals that have been equal or better that I grasped through our conversation that they were right up there. And then there was other deals that I sensed, okay, okay, I can listen to this one, but it's not, it's not resonating the same way. I'm not feeling the love. Part of that is the questions you ask. Like you ask very good questions, and you're right, you're dealing, because I, I, I've had those conversations with you where you'll ask, like, is this, you'll compare it to other deals, yeah. and, you'll, and, and if the person does have integrity, then they can't honestly say. So there have been times where I've, I, I know I talked myself out of a deal because you ask good questions, and, I, and I, obviously we wouldn't do a deal that we didn't right. feel, feel was a good one, but some are better than, the other, than others. Right. So, yeah, I think that's a question. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing when you get to work with people and you're trying to be intuitive, how you can evaluate a deal very quickly and then it's really about, about verification and confirmation. Um, but when you know somebody well, they'll scream from the mountaintop if it's a must do. Right, right. So what you said there is really profound, um, just in that you said you could, uh, you know, within the first couple minutes, that's why, that's why this is a key in and of itself, it's just the, the first uh, initial review of a deal. What is your, what, maybe just expand upon your process, Joel, you mentioned asking really good questions. This is just a really valuable point, I know, for, for our audience. Expand upon that a little bit about how is it that you can know so quickly? Yeah. Well, the more deals you do with somebody, the faster you can figure it out. Yeah. That's a clear yeah. example. But if when, when I hear the unit cost, for example, and then I hear what markets it, it's in, and then I hear what the rental schedule is going to be, and then I hear, and this has been good, well, when we put washers and dryers into them, and we take care of the signage, and we do this and we do that, which all makes sense to me, and this is what we're buying it at, and this is what we're going to rent them at, it makes sense. I get it. I'm, I'm using the most recent investment in Wichita yeah. as an example which is, is a kind of a, a new type of investment for me, but I felt it, I felt that it was worth doing um, be, because of the repositioning of the property, um, which, which has been true for a lot of the properties you've done, repositioning. But based on location and age and um, the lack of enthusiasm, I mean, I know that everybody's enthusiastic on every deal, but there's different levels of enthusiasm. You know, when you go on a date and she shows up and she's absolutely gorgeous, you know, you, you take it to the next level. You wanna go on that date, but if you're, not, if you're not happy, it doesn't feel right, then you, 
kind of go, but I've not said no very often, yeah. right? Yeah. You're talking I, about dating or dealing? Both. <laughs> both. I'm easy. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, <my> God. <laughs> okay, so the last key is terms. It's the data. It's the numbers. It's the verification. Uh, maybe just walk us through your process on once you've passed that first layer and you say, I'm interested, uh, you mentioned a lot of it is, is verification. Maybe walk us through that process a little bit. Well, there's always a presentation, a written email presentation, which after a while one gets used to seeing because the format rarely changes. And you obviously look at the description of the community, what's going on, which you guys do a good job of. Um, you know, it's interesting. A lot, some of the decision making is based on the investor's liquidity at the time the call comes in. So if it's not a deal that screams, unless I have some liquidity, I'm not as excited. If the deal screams, you got to do it, then I find liquidity. But that means there's some sacrifices and a couple of hoops. But so if you feel good about, really good about the deal, you find a way to do it. But the verifications historically have come from a physical inspection of the property, yeah. as you know. Yeah. Um, I, again, after 12 years, the verification process is not nearly as significant as it was 10 years ago. So it all comes back to the trust, it comes back to the history, it comes back to the relationships um, and the, the staff. I mean, I'll ask people outside of, uh, I mean, I'll, you might say it's a great deal, but I want to know if Josh feels it's a great deal. I want to know if Paul thinks it's a great deal. I want to know if Nicole thinks it's a great deal. The idea of having people that you have relationships with, who you feel a, a trust between, helps you. And it, you know, their job is to say yes, but their heart is to be honest. So I trust that they're going to be honest. And I mean, the proof is in the history. I, as, as I said earlier, I don't have regrets about one deal that we've done. And I hope that remains true. Numbers. Let's just uh, dive in a little bit. You mentioned IRR. Do you have a range where you say it's got to meet a certain threshold for me to be interested and 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 to even be more specific do you have certain calculations you say this is what i go to cash on cash distributable you know is it cash flowing to a certain degree um what's kind of your go-to calculations i've always gone well I've, I've always gone with a cash on cash return i mean that's been my mainstay. Uh, I haven't really paid that much attention to cap rates because I haven't been much of a seller. <laughs> and, and so to me, cap rates become very enjoyable when you're selling a property and, and all that. But it's really been about the return on the investment, the likelihood of appreciation that will allow a return of investment, and the, the internal rate of return is really a stab in the dark. It, it, you, because it really is based on appreciation and predicting the sales price down the road. And that's not something any of us can do with any certainty. But if you're buying a property that you can, with your experience and knowledge, see that the rent schedules are 20% under what they could be with this, this, and this, 
then it's a lot easier to establish what your cash return should be, and it makes the return better uh, than maybe it appears on the surface. So is your baseline typically around 10% because you can always get that through private loans? My baseline on an eternal rate of return? Or no, cash on cash. Oh, you know, I would be more than happy to do a, a lower cash on cash return if the quality of the investment had resonated to me that it's going to be a hit down the road. And because of the quality of, that you've presented, the idea of refinancing, and particularly in this ridiculous market, has enabled people to um, you get a lot of their initial investment back and then all of a sudden your returns go through the roof and you, you take your cash back and go on to the next deal. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous in a positive way how the government is basically handing us money is what they're doing. They're creating money where they really shouldn't be, but that's another day. Yeah. So another part of terms uh, deal structure and specifically alignment between uh, the group, the sponsor, putting the deal together and the investors. Do you have any thoughts or commentary on seeing opportunities where it appears to you there's just a total lack of alignment? Um, any, any thoughts on that, just, just on how you evaluate deal structure? I think one of the things that we've been successful at is being very similarly aligned in our evaluations. I, I really do. I mean, that's probably one of the things that has kept us in lockstep. And, and I think your philosophy about um, not overpromising um, has made it easier to make the decisions to go forward. Number one thing that we, Worcester, need to improve on. To in, right now, today. You don't want to hear these. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really want to hear these. I do, I do. Okay. We've got a, we've, I've got my own laundry list. Okay. So, yeah. Well, this has, okay, you guys as a group have built a wonderful opportunity for yourselves, for your investors, and for your employees. And you've restructured your investment philosophy with your fund, uh, with your um, preferred returns, um, uh, but lowering the split uh, after the preferred return. Obviously, this is called progress. I'm not sure who's benefiting from the progress. That's what I'm trying to figure out. But it, in one, on one hand, the good old days are gone. Uh, on the other hand, if I'm a new investor, it feels like I died and went to heaven. I mean, if you're going to offer somebody 8% plus 50% of the profitability after that, on a, on a, who's complaining except the people who are used to 10% and 70% of the profits. And so you're talking to one of the old timers. And so uh, the, the other issue, there's other issues that, that's a more generic one because it's just been a slide and that's fine. But the different types of investments you're doing uh, offer different types of returns. The fund is, the fund is just a straight return, isn't it? What do you mean by it's that? A, no, it's the same structure with a preferred oh. return and then upside. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, then uh, the, the example I'm trying to, to think of is the last opportunity we had to talk about the, the, um, the shells in, da in Dallas, the, 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 yeah. uh, the restaurants that were being purchased yeah. <clears throat> uh, to upgrade. And, yeah. Well, the, uh, my sense, and I told you, yeah. the investor, for me, it was a non-starter yeah. because 
it, it didn't match up with the history that I've enjoyed, right. nor my fellow investors have enjoyed. The good news is that we are the old timers. I mean, we're yesterday's news. You, have, you are in the process of developing a clientele who hasn't been used to 40% internal rate of returns, which is ridiculous. I mean, as I said, so, so it's, it's just like driving a, driving a car. I mean, it may not be as fun as the 65 Mustang, but it still gets you from A to Z and it's performing. So that's why I, I envy us for being in a, the right place at the right time and the new people will enjoy a return that they probably can't get many other places. And some, like with the, those Hawaiian Bros deals, we're structuring them where we are, and this is rare, but it's for those specific types of deals that are new, where we are like guaranteeing a return so we get more of the upside. So in most, you know, even in our, the deals we're doing today, there usually isn't that guarantee component and then there's more shared Got on it. the upside. Like Got it. And, and again, you know, for me, a guaranteed return is to loan money out on yeah, a real exactly, estate. Exactly. So, so exactly. as much as I know you guys and the group uh, is, is, is solid and, and going to perform, in the real world of real estate, it's unsecured. It's not real estate secured. Am I correct? On the Hawaiian Bros deals? No, that is, I mean, that is secured by real estate oh, plus, plus us. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's some of the, uh, some of the other Hawaiian brothers is, is, is secured by signatures. Yeah. The, well, that's secured by Hawaiian Bros and personal guarantee. I'm yeah. involved yeah. in that. So yeah. don't think I'm not knowledgeable about it, but, um, so, but it's just a whole different real estate investment philosophy. In fact, one might not even call it real estate. One might call it a business loan. Well, that one. Yeah. The Hawaiian yeah. Bros. The Hawaiian yeah. Bros is, yeah. which is, I understand. I hope we get some of that food while we're here. Yes, yeah, yeah we yeah. definitely will. Uh, so that is everything that I had. You've had a long, I mean, you've been up since, you know, 6 a.m. today, long flight, long day. Um, but anything else that you guys want to touch on? We touched on your backstory, your, back, your background. That was really helpful. We touched on a couple deal stories. We went through each of the seven keys. I appreciate uh, you going through that with us. Anything else that you guys want to touch on before we jump off? Well, it seems to me that one of the main purposes of this podcast is to um, help investors, potential investors, be comfortable and interested and anxious to do business with your company. Is that it's, accurate? It's the equipping the way I look at it is, uh, if you look historically, there has not, I think there's a lacking of information out there of equipping an individual to say, there's this, there's this alternative area. Uh, so it's, you know, it's not stocks, it's not bonds. There's this alternative area and there's some really um, attractive returns and opportunities in the space and our goal is to say can we provide a platform that is an equipping of knowledge and wisdom and it's I'm agnostic on if someone watches this and they say I want to invest with Worcester or I'm just more than anything is I'm equipped to ask the right questions to go through the process to learn from people like yourself on when I'm looking at a sponsor or a group 
what's kind of the process I go through and evaluating them. And then, okay, now I'm looking at some actual opportunities. I mean, the stuff you shared about flying out, getting face-to-face, evaluating the team, that seems maybe common sense to you, but there's to a lot of people it's like taking notes and it's just like, oh, this is just a, a treasure trove of information. So I would call it more just a general equipping of how to go about uh, you know, evaluating the space. Well, then I would encapsulate it by saying that save yourself a lifetime of grief by spending some time and money before you invest. It's, it's priceless. And I mean, relationships take time, but I think if I was, you know, if I was interested in going into the investment, the presentation, the, your staff, the company, the company supports bringing, bringing money to the table. I would, I would not hesitate. But if people don't take the time to, to, uh, invest, to look at what they're doing, then they deserve the negativity that could come with it. it to, as an example, I, I, um, I was approached by you in December about a property in Wichita, which I've never been to, and I will be going Friday. But to show the level of confidence, we put $900,000, I believe, into that deal because it made sense and because of our history and because of the, the trust and the pictures and all that stuff, but that's something that never would have even come up on my radar screen uh, 10 years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago. It, it's a transition like everything else. And so I hope I don't come back disappointed. Yeah. I'll know where you are. Yeah. Well. <laughs> but that's, that's just that point in and of itself, I, I think is, is pretty profound. There's a lot of people coming from the space of, of stocks and bonds where the idea of being able to get to face, being able to get face to face with someone who's putting together an investment is, is kind of a foreign concept. Right. And so right. that is, I mean, you've re-emphasized that time and time again. And I think that's really, do, really helpful. Do your homework. Yeah. There's no substitution. Yeah. 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 That's why I flunked out of college. <laughs> Didn't do my homework. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thanks, you guys. That was You're awesome. Good? Yes, that yeah. was. I'm so grateful for you. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, I just wanted to say, like, that you know, can cut this if you want to, yeah. but um, I probably there's probably nobody I've learned more from in real estate and how you treat people and just being a a business person of integrity than than you. So like you, we got to meet you as we were just learning how to do business and and learning real estate and you trusted us early on and like I got to see how you treat people and how you do business and and I'm indebted to you forever for that. Thank so, you. Yeah. yeah. Did you get that part? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want get that, that to go loop. to my wife. Yeah, please. get that on loop. <laughs> Send it to the honey. Oh, that's awesome. Thank that's you. Awesome. Yeah, that's thank great. you, Gordon. Appreciate yeah. it.